Everything's gonna be all right. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, for Friday, September 16th, 2016. This week is episode 431. My name is Radio Joe Hughes. I am at the Central City Studio D. The Z-Man is calling in from Studio C back in McKees Rocks. Cliff, do we have you on the line? I'm here, Joe. Hello, everybody. Great. Welcome, Cliff. The Z-Man Zlotnik, our engineer, John, you got to have faith, is remote today, but uh, we think it's going to work. Today's guests are going to be IAQA past president, Don Weeks, in-air environmental up in Canada, and IAQA executive director, Stephanie Sears, talking a little bit about IEQ issues around the world and then a little update on the IAQA and their strategic plans. Before we get started, of course, we couldn't do the show without our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at their website, jondon.com. That's jondon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at IAQ.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. And last but not least, you can check out the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at IAQtraining.com. I will be in Kansas City next week. We've got several classes out there. Look forward to working with the guys at Children's Mercy Hospital. And uh, don't forget to check out the Healthy Building Summit that's coming up in a little over a month from now. Before we bring our guest on, let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. When a cool prize by out-competing fellow IAQ Radio listeners, and being the first person to correctly answer the IQ radio trivia question each week. So many of your answer is easy. Either email it to czlotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text in the answer via your computer. Congratulations. To John Lapotere, IAQ Solutions, Orlando, Florida, for answering last week's IQ radio trivia question. The IQ Radio Trivia question for Friday, September 16, 2016, has been sponsored by Ideas, the solution chemistry company, creating unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. The question is, who was the first president of the IQA? Back to you, Joe. Okay, thank you, Cliff. Well, today we've got two... Well, Dawn has been a regular. Stephanie's been on one other time, but uh, Dawn is an in-air environmental. He's their certified industrial hygienist. He's been providing environmental, occupational, health and safety uh, training, uh, uh, consulting 
for over 35 years now. He's affiliated with the American Industrial Hygiene Association, past chair of their Indoor Environmental Quality Committee, a fellow of the association, four-time recipient of the Best Seller Award for the Report of the Microbial Task Force in 2001-2002, and the Green Book, Recognition, Evaluation, and Control of Indoor Mold 2008. Stephanie Sears is currently serving as the Executive Director of IAQA, and uh, she has in the past worked as the Director Global Operations business planning and analysis in uh, at Equifax. And prior to that, she spent 10 years at the American Society of Mechanical Engineers. Cliff, we've got some music for the guests. appropriate both of our guests just back from india and cliff always comes up with something appropriate welcome uh, let's make sure we've got don hello good day don and stephanie yes hello great thanks for joining us okay you've both been on in the past but um you know the last time stephanie you were on with i think it was david underwood and kent rawhauser and we were talking a little bit about the ASHRAE IAQA conference done in, I guess it was Orlando. Never really got to talk to you in much detail, and I thought maybe today we'd start with that. Tell us a little bit about what you did at Equifax, if you would. You, you, did you travel a lot, go around the world? Um, actually, I should probably start with my time at ASME, the American Society of Mechanical Engineers. Uh, that's where I did uh, most of my international business travel. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be involved with an institute associated an institute of ASME uh, that was extremely international. So uh, they had regular events and technical conferences in Europe and North America. And during my time there. I helped them expand into Asia, uh, including India. So uh, that's kind of my past uh, connection and experience to India. Uh, when I was at Equifax, I traveled mostly uh, domestic. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. And Dawn, if you could give back listeners a little background on your international travels. I know you, you get around a good bit. What what areas have you been to with, you know, when you were doing indoor air quality or either work or attending conferences, etc. cetera. Uh, thanks, Joe. Uh, first, I must say that uh, I, this is uh, my 10th wedding anniversary, so I'd be remiss if I didn't wish uh, Lanchi, who's supposedly listening, a uh, happy anniversary, uh, 10th wedding anniversary. So nice. I'll be All seeing right. her later today. <laughs> happy anniversary, Lanchi. Uh, thanks for letting him join us for an hour here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I started traveling internationally uh, back in the early 90s, starting to attend uh, some of the ISIAC uh, indoor air conferences and the healthy buildings conferences. And I've been to conferences now in uh, uh, Finland, uh, Portugal, Scotland, uh, Australia, Hong Kong, uh, China, 
so I've gotten around a fair amount to, to see uh, what, what the, the types of, of issues uh, people are encountering in various uh, locations other than just here in North America. And of course, internationally, I'm also from Canada. So actually, to some extent, I've, I've, I guess I'm an international uh, uh, man of mystery, I guess, in terms of going around and doing things in different places. You are, and originally from here in the States, correct? That's right, yeah. I grew up in the New York City area and uh, then lived in Connecticut for 20 years, so I, I do have good uh, uh, U.S.-based uh, uh, ancestry as well as, as having some international experience. Let's start with that, Don. What's, what's the difference between IEQ in the United States and IEQ in Canada, if there is a difference? Well, in, in, in the difference is uh, that uh, in the United States, indoor air quality, um, in general, when you get to the governmental side of things, it's usually a guideline of one sort or another. Um, either it's something that's been issued by the U.S. EPA or by, by OSHA or by HUD or CDC or, in some cases, professional societies such as AIHA and other associations like that. In Canada, um, there are still uh, guidelines in some cases, but most of the guidelines that are issued are issued by uh, provincial governments. So in Ontario, we have the Ministry of Labor. In, uh, in Quebec, we have uh, another agency that deals with, uh, with of, uh, labor issues as well as health issues. And then you're basically working with two sets of, of, uh, of regulations that are going to be different. A good example is Legionella um, in Quebec because of an incident that took place in 2013. They have very strict sampling regulations with regards to cooling towers for, um, um, for, for Quebec. And so you need to follow those uh, when you're dealing with a building in Quebec. In Ontario, the regulations aren't um, in place as yet, or the guidelines are not in place. So we re- revert back to the federal um, guidelines, which are uh, issued by uh, an agency called Public Works, similar to GSA in the United States. So it's, it's, it's a different environment. You're dealing with a variety of different types of, the, of, of uh, regulations, guidelines in, in Canada, whereas there's a tendency in the United States to be a little bit more federal in terms of the the approach, although certainly there are states that have their own regulations as well. So uh, I just find it, it it's, it's, it's much more difficult in some cases to know exactly what your jurisdiction is in any particular situation. Stephanie, when you were with the uh, American Society of Mechanical Engineers, I'm, I'm curious, this has been probably, what, 15 years ago now. W- did you hear much about indoor air quality? I mean, these are mechanical engineers. Obviously, they, they deal with it. Um, whether they, you know, focus on it or not. What, what was your kind of background introduction to indoor air quality working with that group? Uh, well, I mentioned I worked for an institute of ASME, and that institute was uh, the International Gas Turbine Institute. Oh. So uh, my focus the whole time there was uh, around turbo machinery and gas turbines, and there's not a lot of indoor air quality conversations going on in the turbo machinery community. I see. Okay. And now you were recently in um, India, both of you, and, and maybe, Steph, if you could tell listeners a little bit about why you were in India and, and maybe some of your impressions with respect to their indoor and outdoor air quality. 
Yeah, most definitely. Uh, we were approached uh, by a group of professionals in the IAQ industry in India. Uh, they were interested in becoming involved with IAQA uh, and having the ability to not only tap into the professional network that IAQA has, but also to leverage many of our educational resources as an association. Uh, over in India, they have, uh, as I'm sure many people know, a very severe problem with their outdoor air quality. Uh, I believe Mumbai just surpassed uh, Beijing or Shanghai as the most polluted city in the world. Uh, so they have a severe issue with that in India. And of course, uh, the outdoor air quality uh, impacts the indoor air quality. So it's a, something that's a very pertinent issue in India. And so we were approached by a group of people working in that industry in India uh, to see about a partnership. The more conversations we had, uh, the more we thought that one of the solutions uh, to kind of bridge uh, the gap between what we're doing in North America and India was to form a chapter there. So uh, Don and I went over, uh, and one of the things that we did was we instituted the new chapter. Uh, but another thing that we did was we spent a few days in Delhi talking to government officials at the national level as well as uh, others involved in the IAQ industry based in Delhi about their issues uh, in India and how IAQA could get more involved. And the good thing about India is there, there's so much opportunity there. Uh, there um, there's a lot of room for us to, you know, share our knowledge and help them with the issues they're facing, not only with the outdoor air quality, but also they have a lot of um, issues stemming from the high levels of humidity in the country. And either one of you, if you could help me out a little bit here, you mentioned Delhi, Gali, and and Mumbai, and and which is the capital? Is it, is it still Delhi or, or Don? It's actually it's actually right next door to Delhi. Uh, it's called New Delhi, and that's where most of the federal facilities that we visited were located. Okay. But it's it's one large uh, large conglomerate of, of, of city. Uh, about twenty million people live in the Delhi New Delhi uh, area. And what's the um, what's the climate in that part of India? Because I don't think people realize how big India is. I mean, you know, you've got it's. I don't know if it's as big as the United States, but North to south, I believe there's you know quite a few different climates. Yes, uh, we were in the uh, central north plain, northern plain area uh, where Delhi is located. Uh, certainly, on the time we were there, which was August, it was uh, it was it was monsoon season. It, that was one of the first things that we <laughs> we encountered as we got off the airplane is that they had a lot of monsoon season sales at that point. Um, so it was very, very cloudy, very uh, warm, very humid um, time. Um, uh, that lasts from about uh, August through about October. And then actually after that, it becomes a little bit milder during the, uh, the, the um, late fall and early winter months. And then, and then in the early spring, again, it becomes very, very hot. 
But you're right. The climate varies from the from the foothills of the Himalayas all the way down to the fur, furthest end of the of the uh, peninsula. Can be uh, runs from from basically uh, highlands or or mountainous type zones all the way down to semi tropical and tropical zones. Uh, we're in the southern part of the of the uh, of the country. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Let's let's talk a little more about India. I think that's a fascinating area. First, I'm not sure, Stephanie. I've been to. I think all but one of the last 15 IAQA conferences, and there were a few before I got involved, but I don't recall seeing too many people from India. Have, have any of the people you met with been over here to, um, to our convention, and what were their thoughts if they were? Yes, yes, actually. Uh, Richie Matal, who is the chapter director for the IAQA India chapter, uh, came over uh, and attended the Orlando annual meeting. Um, he also attended ASHRAE's um, summer, or I'm sorry, ASHRAE's annual meeting in the summertime, uh, where IAQA had a board meeting. So uh, Richie Mattel, uh, along with a few of the other chapter officers, uh, we met with them in St. Louis during ASHRAE's uh, annual meeting, and a few of them had also attended the IAQA um, annual meeting in Orlando. We, to- we spoke to many people in India about coming over to the annual conference in 2017, which will be in January in Las Vegas, so we're hoping that slowly over the years, that contingency will continue to grow at the annual meeting. Either, either one of you, what, what kind of, uh, I don't know if you got a chance to ask him what his impressions were of the differences between, you know, how we handle indoor air quality in the States and how it's handled in India. Can one of you comment on that? Yeah, I, I think that the difference right now is that um, we we have about 25, 30 years of effort, maybe even longer now, since the early 80s, effort within North America to improve the indoor air quality uh, from the time of the, the initial uh, energy crisis back in the, in the late 70s until now. We, we've been working very steadily and in, in growing the indoor air quality field in North America and in Europe and in what I would be called the developed uh, countries. In India, their development has really skyrocketed over the last 10 years um, in terms of their industry. They're now the fastest-growing economy in the world, uh, faster than, than China. Um, and so the increase in awareness of indoor air quality has become uh, widespread among, among uh, the, uh, particularly the people who work in the, uh, in the IT field, but also those who work in office buildings. They can see... Uh, as we, if you recall, Joe, uh, being growing up in places like Pittsburgh or in, in, in Los Angeles and places like that, we used to have a re- regular smog, uh, you know, that was associated with our with those those cities. Sure, we've seen a, a sub- substantial reduction of that kind of, of activity in North America. Well, they're experiencing that now. They're they're seeing the problems with smog. They're seeing the problems with outdoor pollution, and because of uh, the fact that they are so um, the cities are so highly populated that obviously is, 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 is also affecting their indoor air quality. And the awareness of indoor air quality is growing uh, very, very strongly right at the moment. But they haven't necessarily gotten to the point where they have uh, regulations or they haven't gotten to the point where they have done much in, in terms of controls at this point because their, their focus has been on 
on dealing with the particularly particulates in the air, uh, PM10, PM2.5. And they're also talking about doing something as low as PM1 in terms of the types of controls that they're looking to try to reduce the outdoor pollution, which is also affecting their indoor environments as well. Hmm. Cliff, you had a follow-up? Yeah, I, I do, Don. Um, in the United States and in Canada, some of our indoor air quality problems are attributed to the tightening up of buildings and homes for energy savings. Um, are they concerned about energy savings in India, and are they doing the same things that we did in order to tighten the buildings? They are. They, they, we, we were in one building in Delhi uh, that was a, um, a platinum, uh, lead platinum dynamic building, which means that they monitor everything, uh, you know, with regards to uh, indoor air quality uh, uh, inside the building uh, in all their uh, approximately seven or eight stories. Uh, and this is a, a, a new development for them in terms of, of monitoring in that regard. Um, and so, yes, they're, 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 they're definitely seeing an increase in awareness of, of, of indoor air quality. Uh, they, they, they recognize that the problem is going to be widespread. Uh, one of the biggest problems that they have uh, is what is known as, as, as cook stoves. Uh, these are, are cooking uh, devices where they, they, you know, both from the urban and from the rural areas, they have these cook stoves running, in many cases, almost all day long. Uh, and they're using biomass instead of uh, any type of, of other types of fuel. And that's creating a incredible amount of, of, of smoke and problems within the building. And they're trying to deal with that, but it's a very difficult issue because it, the cooking is a very integral part of their culture and the type of food that they eat. And so dealing with the smoke, which is causing severe problems with asthma and, 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 and other uh, carbon monoxide problems is really a difficult issue for them to deal with because it's so culturally ent- entangled in their, in their way of doing, uh, doing domestic uh, cooking and things of that nature. But it, it's very much an issue that they're very focused in on right at the moment. Thank you. I'm curious, either one of you, what type of construction was kind of predominant, at least in the areas you were in? I, I assume you were pretty much in those big cities and I'm assuming, but correct me if I'm wrong, you've got a lot of concrete, you've got a lot of slab-type foundations, you've got a lot of multi-story-type buildings. Um, I'm not sure what type of insulation they use. Can can one of you comment on that? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that was fascinating to me uh, was the contrast between the new and the old. Um, The new is uh, the type of construction you're describing, you know, with, with concrete and windows and, and, and very um, tight controls on the environment. Uh, I, I've, when I was talking to, with Cliff, I should have mentioned also that a lot of these newer buildings are very concerned about energy savings as well. Obviously, they, it's a very expensive place to air condition in terms of, of keeping the climate under control. So they are very concerned about that, and they want to focus in on that. However, you contrast that with the older buildings uh, that are in, the, in, in a vast uh, part of the, of, the, of the cities that we're in, 
and you can see that the older construction uh, was not intended to be uh, to be closed in. It was intended to be open, quite frankly, uh, to allow uh, things to dry out, to allow things to, to have breezes, to basically allow uh, interaction between the outdoors and the indoors. Um, and so that type of construction still exists in a large part of the cities. Uh, the newer construction is, is supplanting that as, as time goes on, but it's, it's going to take a, you know, I mean, it's dealing with uh, populations is uh, close to a billion people. It's very difficult to see how quickly you can get to, to going from the, from the old type of, of construction to the new type of construction in a, in a rapid fashion. They are trying very hard. I mean, every place we went to, there was construction going on. So I think they're, they're seeing it as, 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 a, as a necessity in order to, for them to modernize their, their, their society. Cliff? Uh, thanks, Joe. You know, one of the things that I've China, other parts of Asia, where the scaffolding is unlike the scaffolding that's used in the United States, where, you know, we use Safeway scaffolding, and it's pretty much the same in all the different cities. It seems that uh, in Asia that they use a lot of, you know, bamboo-type scaffolding, and I was just wondering, uh, you know, what, what types of scaffolding that you saw, you know, for new construction. Well, for new construction, uh, there is there is a, a bit of a change from the old bamboo type of, of scaffolding to uh, to more modernized scaffolding because a lot of the of the new construction is being financed uh, uh, by uh, by people who are coming from from um, from a more modern uh, viewpoint on this, both from Indian viewpoint and also from folks who are investing in India. However, you do still see buildings that are under repair, the older buildings I mentioned, where you do see the, uh, the bamboo uh, scaffolding as well. Um, I would say that it, it, it doesn't look as strong as the, uh, as the other uh, newer type of scaffolding, but having gone uh, on one or two of them over the years, I'm very surprised at how strong it actually is. I'm not saying it's perfect. Believe me, it's it's not perfect, but it is it is a it is a good substitute in many ways for for uh, for the traditional uh, for the type of scaffolding that we're used to in in, in Western culture, and it, it works very well for for reconstruction many of the buildings that they have. Thanks. One more quick question on the um, the the building science and construction, because you know I think it helps to understand that before we get into too much detail on indoor air quality. Are, are you, did you see much in the way of uh, drywall, sheetrock, whatever we're going to call it, ceiling tile, carpet? How, how would you compare what you saw in India to what you see in North America, Don, Stephanie? Well, I'll start on that. Basically, if, if you're in a modern hotel, as we were in, in some cases, uh, these are, are hotels that have been put up in many cases within the last couple of years. You're going to see uh, that type of construction uh, because the you know the folks that are building them are, are familiar with that kind of construction from doing it in other places. If you go to the more traditional type of, of hotels and buildings that we've been in, uh, it's much more of a of a marble and ca- concrete type of construction, less uh, more drywall, less carpeting than you would expect. Uh, the most interesting thing I found was that uh, at least two of the hotels we stayed in will lead platinum hotels. Uh, they met the requirements for lead platinum, uh, which meant that they have gone through the process through uh, the USGBC or the Indian uh, Green Bat Building Council to get that kind of award. And it's prominently displayed in their lobby. So they're very proud of the fact that these hotels have met those requirements. 
Stephanie, I'm, I'm curious what, you know, we've, we've got a little bit before we go to our halftime here. I'm curious what your thoughts were with respect to the accommodations. I mean, was it uh, what you expected, a little less so? And have you been to India prior with your ASME job? Uh, yes, I uh, I was in India in 2012 with ASME, uh, but only in Mumbai. So this was a good trip because it gave us exposure to some different parts of India because Don and I spent a few days in Delhi, and then we actually flew down to Goa for Ishray's Tech Fest conference. And Goa is a resort town in India. It's on the coast. And uh, that was a very different environment because it's actually a tropical climate zone. Uh, and the, there are extreme levels of humidity there. So uh, there's a little bit of a difficulty, I think, in uh, maintaining uh, acceptable levels of humidity or what we would consider acceptable in the United States. So that was that was a different experience there to stay in that tropical climate in India and really experience the extremes of their weather. And yeah, I've got enough time for a quick follow-up. Don, you know, you're a, you're an indoor air quality guy. Um, I mean, we're, we're I don't want to be negative toward the, the country at all. I, I want, but I'm curious, did you get a lot of musty odor even in the newer hotels or did it seem like it was pretty good to you? Actually, uh, you know, I, I, I was uh, pleasantly surprised that most of the hotels or all the hotels that we stayed in uh, had uh, nothing of a musty odor to them. Now, um, I'm not going to deny that there are other ones. I mean, if you go on TripAdvisor and look up hotels in, in India, you're going to find a lot of information about uh, moldy buildings and moldy uh, rooms. And they're well aware that there are going to be, you know, needs for new construction in these areas. But for hotels that we stayed in, I would say we were, we were pleasantly surprised not to have any major problems in that particular uh, area. Um, it wasn't very musty at all. Did, did either of you get any impression from the people you met with or maybe your interaction with people who were you know, behind the desk or whatever at the hotels? Is there any awareness of, of mold as an indoor air quality issue? Well, yes, I, I think that, that they, they're very much aware of living in a very humid climate, subject to monsoons on a regular basis, and the, all the construction that we talked about that are, you know, more uh, wood and, um, and, and, and uh, other types of, of cellulose-based uh, materials, they're going to have those types of problems. Uh, they, it's, it's, it's a different way of looking at things is that in many ways, mold, although it's certainly a present in, in, these, in these environments, is not necessarily as considered to be as severe a problem as the particulates problem that we talked about earlier, mm -hmm. because it's, it's something you can see with particulates. You can see it in the air. You can see that if you get outside of Delhi and you drive uh, back uh, towards the city, you can see the cloud that hangs over the city. So it's a very visible problem. And I think it's it's not unusual when you think about it. Again, like I talked about in North America, we dealt with the outdoor environment, the smog, the, the problems with the, uh, the particulates first before we started focusing more on the indoor air quality problems such as mold and things like that. So I think they're following a very similar pattern in that regard. And I would imagine dealing with the indoor air quality when you've got such a 
you know, a, a large outdoor air quality problem is going to be a little tricky. And, and what I'd like to do is talk about that and mechanical systems and ventilation a little bit after we take a break and thank our sponsors. We'll be back with the second half of our interview with Don Weeks and Stephanie Sears. Give us about 90 seconds. And thanks to our association sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. The Restoration and Specialty Cleaners Association have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Their website is trsca.org. Thanks to our advertisers. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Visit them at legends-enviro.com. And Particles Plus. They are engineers and manufacturers of feature-rich particle counters, air quality monitoring instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. Particlesplus.com. Count on us. And, of course, our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at their website, jondon.com. That's jondon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IEQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at iaq.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right, we're back for the second half of our interview with Don Weeks and Stephanie Sears. Um, we, we left off, we were talking about the indoor air, outdoor air, and, and the fact that, you know, and we, we still deal with outdoor air problems here with, you know, in Houston and Los Angeles and some of the larger metropolitan areas, probably not as bad as Mumbai, but um, Don, I'm wondering, you know, what's your thoughts on how that affects how they look at ventilation versus how we look at ventilation in North America? Well, we are we have been moving uh, in our commercial buildings and also our residential buildings in the in the United States and in, in Canada. We've been moving very very uh, strongly towards mechanical system ventilation for the most part, um, and that's you know that has been going on for probably forty fifty years. Uh, one of the things that they say about how why the South uh, part of the United States grew so quickly in the last uh, 30, 40 years is because of the advent of air conditioning. Um, and certainly that's a, a key factor uh, there. Uh, they, their office buildings that we're in um, do have ventilation um, and do have mechanical ventilation in, most, in almost all cases that we were in. So they have uh, the, 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 uh, the types of systems in place. 
that is less so in residential. I, I, we didn't visit very many, but we, we did go past many residential areas. And I, I didn't see as many uh, um, mechanical systems. There are certainly, uh, you know, individual um, uh, air conditioning units that you see in the windows and things of that nature. I mean, it's an extremely hot and extremely uh, humid environment, so anything you can do to do that is important. But one of the key things that has changed uh, and is quite different than what we have in North America is the whole idea of air purifiers. Uh, there's a huge industry for air purification of uh, small units that they use in both residential and in commercial buildings. And there's a, there's a problem because these air, air purifiers make claims that probably, well, in most cases are not necessarily true. They, you know, that they can, they can eliminate all uh, pollution uh, or, or mold or all uh, particulate, you know, by, by operating the, these purifiers. Uh, and so that industry is something that the, particularly the, Folks in India that are now uh, setting up the chapter IQA are very interested in and are looking to perhaps put together a paper about how to select uh, air purifiers uh, so that people can be a little bit more aware. Uh, one of the things that they told us was that uh, the type of air, air purifier you bought was dependent on how much you could spend. So if you spend, you know, have $500 to spend, that's the purifier you get. If you have $1,500 to spend, that's the purifier you get. So they didn't have any other criteria other than, well, this is a more expensive one, and, and that, that's, that's the reason why I bought it, not necessarily that it did a better job. So they're looking to perhaps put something in place that will give uh, consumers as well as professionals a little bit more guidance as to how to uh, pick out air purifiers. Was there any, did you notice, were these all um, filter-type purifiers or did you get ozone generators and you know uh, oh yeah the, oh okay. yeah they're, they're definitely ozone generators too i mean they're both filters and air uh, ozone generators they're ultraviolet in some cases i mean they had all different types uh but you know it, it depended on where you were and what what you know again what type of uh, industry you were in in restaurants you ended up more with the the filter types uh but in in residence from what i've been told at least they're dealing more with the ozone generators to, to, to reduce odors as well as, uh, as, as take the pollution out of, or supposedly take the pollution out of the air. So it's a wide, wide open field. They have their own domestic manufacturers, but they have a lot of influx from uh, China also in terms of uh, air purifiers, which, are, which is not unusual, is, is, is you know, to be expected because China has, has been using air purifiers since I was first there in 2005 and saw them then. So, it's a, it's a big industry in India, and they're selling a lot of them. And what the IQA uh, India chapter would like to do is to put some kind of uh, paper together that, sh that helps people to, to pick out the right one without necessarily just doing it on the basis of price. I'm curious, Don, in the, in the bigger, you know, the commercial buildings, did you see, uh, were you able to get a look at or talk about the type of filtration they're using? Are they... Uh, you know, are they are they using the MERV rating system? Um, are they using both particulate and VOC type filtration in these buildings? Um, let me talk a little bit more about that, if you would. I would. Uh, I basically my my discussion. I didn't necessarily get to go too much into mechanical rooms myself personally, but from talking to a lot of the mechanical engineers that attended the conference and also. Uh, you know, talking with uh, Richie and some of the other folks that are putting together the Indoor Air Quality Association chapter, uh, their focus is mainly still very much on particulates rather than on, on VOCs at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they, they recognize that. As, and as I said uh, earlier, 
they're going from a, a, an environment where they, they were first focused on PM10, they're down to PM2.5, and, and some of the regulators in this, uh, had discussing the idea of having a PM1 uh, type of, of standard with regards to how to go about uh, cleaning the air of the uh, particulate. So their focus right now is, is, get, is, is focus on that. And, and it's a very good reason. The amount of vehicles that they have on the road, are, it's astronomical. I mean, you can range it from, from large trucks to down to uh, taxi cabs to private uh, cars to, uh, to little putt-putt uh, freewheelers to, to, uh, to um, you know, carts that are being uh, pulled by donkeys. I mean, everybody gets on the road. There, there is nothing in terms of, of delineation of lines. You just go where you want to drive, and, and you try to move forward. Hmm. And, and, of course, all those people are, 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 are you know, are, most cases are, are, are not necessarily operating a, a clean vehicle. And so you have a, you know, a phenomenal amount of, of, of particulate going up in the air from uh, just transportation. Interesting. I'm I'm wondering. Okay, we're 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 at 12:40 here. I want to kind of wrap up the indoor environmental quality worldwide. So maybe, Don, and then we're going to go into a little more with Stephanie on IAQA. Before we do, Don, can you kind of give us a little comparison contrast between China and Asia? The you know the parts of Asia you've been in and India, air, indoor air quality wise. Well, uh, the last most recent visit, I, I was in uh, Hong Kong in 2014. Now, Hong Kong is a incredibly vertical city on an island, uh, and uh, the the most striking thing to me was that these all of these buildings, which are almost all modern, um, are mechanically ventilated, um, and so you have an incredible amount of of of, uh, of, of cooling towers and other types of of um, uh, HVAC units sitting on on roofs and on sides of buildings. Hmm. Um, we went through a, one area of, of Hong Kong, which was a very intense uh, area called the Ch- uh, Chulan, uh, where it's the most densely populated p- uh, part of the world, uh, according to um, what I was reading. Uh, and we walked through a, you know like one of these buildings, which had like an uh, like a, an arcade underneath, uh, which was outdoors. Yet. When we walked in that that arcade, the the air conditioning system was on and was blowing down on us on the outside of the building. Okay, hmm. uh, so we were getting we were getting cooled as we were walking uh, through the through the middle of the building without necessarily being in the building. Uh, that doesn't happen in India. I mean that 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 type of of I would say not very good use of energy does not happen in India. Uh, they're they're building buildings as I said that are much more tight, much more. And, and in the lead certification buildings that we're in, you can see where the ventilation system is, is very tightly controlled. Uh, even the uh, convention center we were in in uh, Goa, uh, it, it was a, a system that was 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 intended to be operated with with uh, with uh, energy efficiency being one of the key issues. So uh, I see India actually moving more towards a direction of of being um, energy efficient than what I was seeing in Hong Kong, where it, it seemed like they still are kind of in the era when of, of you know, cheap oil and cheap energy. Uh, so it's, it's a contrast. But, you know, Hong Kong is a great city to be in as well. It's just very different in terms of what, what you see there as opposed to what you see in India. And real quick, you've been to Europe quite a few times, I believe. What, what are your thoughts on uh, Europe uh, versus, say, North America? Very similar, quite different? Well, the big difference over there is that they they took the uh, 
the energy crisis of the late eight, uh, 70s uh, very seriously and spent a great deal of money upgrading their um, their transportation systems in particular and building uh, a very good uh, rail system between cities. It's a small area than North America, obviously, so that they could do that and interconnect uh, cities very well. Um, and they, they've also raised the price of gasoline through either through taxes or for other means to, to basically make it so that if you were going to drive in Europe, you're going to pay a fair amount of money for that for that drive. We, we haven't necessarily done that in the United States. As, as I can see, you know, just driving around in, in the United States right now, it's about $2 a gallon. For, for oil, for, for gasoline, I should say, mm-hmm. um, that you would never see that in Europe. I mean, Europe is, is at least two to three or four times that price. Uh, so there's, there's more of a premium on, on, on public transportation. There's, there's definitely more regulations. Uh, it's, it's much more of a, a, the EU um, regulations are, are very strict in terms of what kind of uh, uh, facility you can build and what you have to do with your pollution. We're a lot less uh, restricted in, in the United States, even though people complain about our regulations. And believe me, I understand why they do. Uh, in comparison to places like Europe, we're, we're much more less restricted in terms of what we do. Um, that doesn't mean that we're doing anything wrong. It just means that we have a different approach than they did. They had more of a regulatory approach. We have more of a market-based approach. Both can work. It's just a matter of how they work and, and the difference that you can see between the two, two environments. Do you still see a lot of research going on and coming out of Europe? Like I know, you know, years ago, that was a hotbed of research. And, and it seems like, in at least in my experience, North America we're getting more indoor air quality type research, et cetera. But um, I'm curious what your your thoughts are. Yeah, definitely. Many of the um, individuals that started programs in in in, uh, in Europe, in in Finland, and in Denmark, and elsewhere, um, many of them have come to North America and worked with uh, universities here uh, to build programs. Plus, there's been a lot of growth of our own internal. Uh, programs, people who have graduated from programs here who are, are um, uh, you know, starting to do really impressive research. The real growth area, uh, again, though, goes towards Europe, um, I'm sorry, towards Asia. We're seeing a, a, a number of papers. If you look at uh, some of the publications from ISIAC and other organizations, you're seeing a number of papers that are being issued by uh, folks in, in, in Beijing, uh, Shanghai, and now over into India as well. So, uh, I think uh, uh, North America is, is, has caught up to Europe. Europe is still strong, but it's not as strong as it was. Uh, and I think Asia is the up-and-coming player in terms of uh, indoor quality research. One final comment or question, Don. My impression is, you know, I don't go around the world like you do. I, I've been to a couple places. But my impression about China and India is that they kind of are um, – leaning on or, or very interested in trying to solve these problems through new technologies and so on, and and not so much, I don't see that as much here in the States, or that's my impression. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I, I, I'll give you a, a very small but uh, important uh, um, thing that I, I have seen a, a difference, and, and it, it's not really in, related to indoor air quality, but it's related to technology. Uh, in the United States, uh, when you put your, you know, buy something for a credit card, generally you still swipe the card. You still put it through a, a, a side vent uh, or you, you stick your car into the machine. 
the technology is advanced beyond that, where everybody does in, in, in even in Canada, we just do a tap on the on the on the on the machine, and, and it takes all the information right directly from a from a pen. The United States is falling a little bit behind on those types of things. I, I don't know why that is the case, because obviously a lot of things in the United States are still, you know, are still state of the art, uh, the new iPhone 7 and things like that. But it, it does seem like there's more early adapters in places such as, as Japan, China uh, and, and other places. And they 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 they, they have um, well, another example is telephone service. I mean, there, there's very few people in the most rural parts of China who don't have a smartphone. What they don't have is they don't have a land phone. They have no, there's no, there's no need for a land phone. They've just gone directly from, from basically not having a phone at all directly to a smartphone. Uh, we still, in many cases, still have, in most of our homes and our businesses, we still have landlines. Um, and they don't have that. Everything's operated on a cell phone. So they have been early adapters in terms of that technology, and I think they will be the same way when it comes to indoor air quality. Uh, I mentioned the dynamic uh, uh, lead platinum building that we visited in India. Um, I don't know of anybody in the United States or North America that has done dynamic lead at this point. So having that kind of, of, of technology succeed in, in places like uh, New Delhi is, is a real good example of how they really are working uh, towards uh, uh, working with new technology very quickly. Don, real quick, could you... Tell our listeners the difference between a lead platinum and a lead dynamic platinum. The dynamic part is is that they monitor throughout the entire building uh, a number of different types of indoor air quality uh, parameters: uh, carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, VOCs, total particulates, uh, formaldehyde, things of that nature. And you you can see the display at the front door. Okay, mm, they okay. have a display, a, a big uh, big screen TV that shows basically what the levels are within the building. Uh, so that's the dynamic part. They can, if they see a problem in any of those areas, they can immediately go and correct the problem. Uh, so it's it's not only just getting the lead certification; they actually are keeping the certification going all the way through with this uh, with these monitoring devices that they use. And they what what numbers are they using with respect to you know carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide? Are they using ASHRAE numbers or are they using uh, stuff directly from the lead program? Generally speaking, they're using uh, the ASHRAE numbers for the most part, but you know, in some cases, there, there's not an ASHRAE number. They'll, they'll have a, a local number that they've generated, or they'll use something from uh, lead directly. Like total VOCs. I don't believe there's an ASHRAE number on that. Is that accurate? That's correct. That's correct. There's not one on humidity either, but basically they'll use what, is, what I would consider guidelines, but they're, they're, they're using it you know, in a proactive way, whereas uh, many of the... Um, other buildings are doing it more of in a reactive way. So this is this is a relatively new development. It's only been out for about two years, and this is one of the first buildings I see where has used it very effectively. Interesting. Well, thank you, Don. And, and Stephanie, before we move into IAQA a little more, I, I want to make sure I give you a chance to add anything with respect to you know what you saw in India and around the world indoor environmental quality-wise. Yeah, I think it's interesting is just the segmentation of the uh, IQ in India because the the um, issues that they have that they're tackling in the urban areas are very different from those that they're looking at in the rural areas. I mean, Don t- touched on the cook stoves 
Um, that is seen within the urban areas, but it's mostly an issue within the rural areas of India. So uh, you have a lot of pollution, of course, in any urban area. They have it from the landfills and from the industry and from the vehicles. But there's also a large amount of the air pollution that's coming from the rural areas because of the cook stove. And there's the additional complication of having those cook stoves inside the home uh, with young children and, and elderly people alike that are, you know, specifically prone to issues. And so that was, to me, in India, one of the most interesting parts of it. And also, as Don touched upon you know, the issue with the cook stoves um, with IEQ, that is a particularly difficult one to uh, tackle because it's so entrenched in their culture. Uh, another thing that's interesting is uh, during the Indian festival of Diwali, that is one of the most polluted times of the year in India because of all of the fireworks and, and things that are uh, set off and burnt. Um, as part of the festival, but that is another thing that deeply impacts their air quality that's entrenched in their culture. So it's going to be an interesting journey, I think, with India. There's a lot that they can learn from us, and I think there's a lot that we're going to be able to learn and grow from each other just because of the unique situations that are presented uh, in the country. And during this last... 10 minutes or so here, a little less than 10. Stephanie, I'd like to go into a little on the Indoor Air Quality Association. I mean, things seem to be settling down now. We've got the, you know, uh, you're in the ASHRAE building there. Things seem to be working pretty well with uh, administration of, you know, dues and certificates for membership and so on. Where, where are we headed from here? What's the strategic plan for IAQA in the next 5, 10 years? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for your comments. Uh, those are greatly appreciated. There's been many people working very diligently to get those types of administrative things in line. So I'm, I'm glad to hear uh, your comments on those. As far as the strategic plan, I came on board almost exactly a year ago and uh, worked with the board to uh, develop a strategic plan that we could follow for the next three to five years. And the main strategic imperative for the association now is growth of the organization. Uh, and the tactics that we're using for that growth is really to create a value around the membership. Uh, we want to make sure that we're really, really making the membership value proposition as strong as it possibly can be, whether it's through tangible benefits such as the quarterly free webinars that we offer to all members or a little more intangible things such as the network that IAQA brings to the table. Uh, we're really trying to build that and we're also building the awareness of the association. We've really, really increased our level of communication to our membership and to our contact list. Um, in the last year, and we're getting out there. We've been at a lot of industry events, just really getting the word out about IAQA that we're still here, we're growing, and we're ready to serve the members and the industry. The specific uh, areas that we're targeting with the strategic plan are education, education and training, 
regulatory and industry affairs, and member engagement. These are really the top three aspects or reasons, if you will, why people come to any trade association. Uh, You come to learn, you come to make sure you're staying on top of what's going on in the industry, and you come to engage with others in the industry. And we want to make sure that those are the areas that we are serving the best or being the strongest in, uh, since that's the main reason why most people will come to an organization like IAQA. Uh, our education and training programs have been going extremely well uh, since the beginning of the calendar year. We have our webinar series, which is a monthly webinar on uh, various topics within the IAQ industry. We also, as I mentioned, have quarterly free webinars for members, which uh, thank you, Joe Hughes, for presenting one of those yesterday for our membership. Um, My pleasure. (laughs) The popularity has also been increasing of the IAQA University courses. That's a very strong tenant of our educational program are those 51-hour online courses uh, that are really that cover the fundamentals, the basics of IAQ. Um, And what we've been doing is we've been featuring one IAQA university course in every every month. Uh, And you can find that featured course within IAQA Digest, our member e-newsletter. And we're giving a little bit of a discount uh, for a course in each month. So, Take a look at that. Make sure you just uh, uh, see what courses we're offering on um, on a discount or featuring for the month. Uh, that has that program has greatly increased the popularity of the IQA University courses. And then, of course, we have our on-site uh, and online training courses. Uh, we have our approved training providers, of which IAQTI is uh, one of them, our longstanding uh, partner in the training courses. So we're very proud of what's happening with education and training now, and we're looking to to develop it even more in the future. Uh, As far as member engagement, you know, we've been on here talking about India. We've had a lot of development going on with chapters. I believe our chapters have grown 30% in the past six months. And a lot of that has been the international development that we've been speaking on today. You know, it's funny because we had uh, visitors in the ASHRAE office last week from SIBSI. So SIBSI is kind of the ASHRAE counterpart in the UK, and uh, there's a staff exchange program between ASHRAE and SIBSI. And so we had a lot of meetings last week talking about the different challenges uh, and things that we're facing as organizations, and it was discussed that SIBSI is also seeing most of its growth from the international segment, as is ASHRAE. ASHRAE seeing more faster and more growth in their international um, segments than they are seeing within North America. So that was a good confirmation that IAQA is really on the right path in pursuing these developing economies and other countries that are dealing with similar uh, or maybe even unique uh, indoor air quality issues that we're dealing with in North America. So member engagement, that's really another, you know, that's one of the three main tenets of our strategic plan is getting that local avenue of member engagement through your chapters. So 
If you're an IAQA member, please get involved with your local chapter. If you don't have a local chapter, we're always looking for motivated people that want to start a new chapter um, because we know that's such an important network that we have to build as an organization. And our other member engagement uh, topic that I'll talk about just real quickly is our annual meeting. Uh, please, please plan to attend our annual meeting in January, January 30th through February 1st in Las Vegas. We are co-located with ASHRAE's Winter Conference as well as AHR Expo. So we hope to see uh, everyone at the annual meeting next year in Vegas. And that's a big one, number 20, I believe. That's right. 20th anniversary. Hopefully we'll have some special things planned for that. I'd love to see some recognition of the uh, past presidents, for instance. I, I noticed that was Cliff's trivia question today, and the correct answer was Larry Robertson, and uh, Doug Conan picked that one up, and Eva was second on it. But, you know, I think we should honor those folks on a regular basis, maybe have a poster or something that, you know, shows the history of the organization. They And, you know, Larry's passed away, unfortunately, and um, I think he deserves a lot of credit for where we're at today. Cliff, let me turn it over to you. We're just about out of time. In fact, we may run a minute or two over. I want to give you the opportunity to ask the last questions. Thanks, Joe. Stephanie, I mean, the excitement is evident in your voice that you're having a good time uh, <laughs> with your tenure at uh, IQA. Uh, what has been the most rewarding part of, of, of your job since you've been there? If you had to name one thing, what is it? Oh, that's hard to, to single it down to one. But what I would say is really my general answer for why I like working for associations. And that's because I, I say that working for an association is, the, is one of the best jobs on the planet. Because with this role, you are working with people that are passionate about what they do. So every single day, I'm working with people that are passionate about what they do, people like you, Joe, Don, and that is infectious. Uh, so that is, I think, my favorite thing about working for associations, period, and it's my favorite thing about working for IAQA is just being surrounded by members and volunteers that are, uh, that are passionate about what they do is, is really, really inspiring and motivating every single day. Great answer. Thank you. And with that, let me just ask, uh, throw out a final question to either of our guests or both. Please, uh, if there's anything you'd like to add before we go, anything we missed, here's your chance. Don? Uh, I, I think we've covered it pretty well. I think that the one thing I would add, and, and probably Stephanie may add it as well, is we're, we're looking at uh, opening up uh, new chapters uh, internationally uh, very shortly. I think... Uh, uh, we're going. Uh, um, Stephanie's going to Shanghai to open a chapter soon. We're, we're working closely with some folks in Australia to open a chapter there. There's a new chapter in Vancouver. Uh, the Los Angeles chapter has opened up again. Um, so I think the growth is is there. Come and join us and and participate, and and you'll see how fast we you know this this particular organization is growing. Thank you, Don, and thanks for joining us, Stephanie. Any last words from you? 
Yeah, I think those were great last comments from Don. Um, I should, yes, mention uh, that I'm leaving for Shanghai on Monday to open up the Shanghai chapter. Uh, I will then be going on to Hong Kong to speak to some government representatives there about IQA getting involved with uh, their IQ issues they're dealing with. And then I'm on to Bangkok for the ASHRAE Super CRC, uh, where I'm hoping to talk about a, to a lot of interested people about IAQA and forming a chapter. But just again to, to confirm Don's comments here, you know, we're here, we're growing, um, and we're here to serve the members and the industry. So please reach out if you're interested. Let us know if you want to get more involved. We have a Get Involved page. Um, on our website that outlines all the different opportunities. So come join us and let us know what we can do to serve you as a member better and to serve the industry. Well, with that, I just want to thank both Dawn Weeks and Stephanie Sears. It's been uh, great to have you on the show. And Stephanie, it was nice to be able to spend a little more time with you this time around. We uh, didn't get to hear a whole lot from you the first time you joined us. So it was great to have you back. Thank you so much. All right. And thank you, Don. And, of course, thanks to my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Well done again, Cliff. I'm sure you're writing up a, a bunch of notes over there. Uh, our, engi- yeah. our engineer, John, you got to have faith. Uh, well done, John. No, uh, no glitches, except my computer started to blow up here. I don't know why. It was making all kinds of crazy noises. We'll have to figure that one out before next week. But uh, this is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks, and most importantly to our loyal listeners, come back and join the Z-Man next Friday at noon. I'll be on the road teaching, so the Z-Man's going to cover for me. I'm sure we'll have some good disaster restoration discussion next Friday at noon on the next episode of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production. 